Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to find out how to constantly replace yourself, and we'll do that by listening to Craig Ceccarelli. Now, Craig owns HomeSpec basement fix, and he's going to tell us how a college philosophy major ended up building a large and highly successful home improvement company and why he went about doing that. But before we get into that, Craig, who do you exactly serve? We serve homeowners in Southeast Michigan and anybody with a basement or a crawl space. So these people have problems, I would imagine, with those basements and crawl spaces that you are able to identify, one, and two, solve. And so what are those problems that people face there in southeastern Michigan? We like our basements here in Michigan. It's where we hang out a lot of times, store a lot of stuff, but they're below grade. They're below the ground. So they tend to leak. Uh, the walls tend to crack after time. Settlement. Uh, ground pushing in, freeze-thaw cycles. But the bulk of our business is basement waterproofing. Basement waterproofing in an existing house as opposed to during construction or both? Correct, right. Typically, these houses are anywhere from 15 years old on up. The initial system that the builder might have put in is failing or failed, and they need replacement just like any other component of the house. It's often ignored because you don't see it. There's pipes and drainage things outside the wall that nobody sees except uh, during construction. So it's unexpected when it happens. You get water in the basement, and uh, it can be devastating to have water sitting on the floor. So it's important to get things fixed. And we fix foundation repair problems, too, like houses sinking, poor soil conditions, walls buckling in from a freeze-thaw cycle. That's very disturbing to a homeowner to have the the root, the foundation of their home have a problem. They can probably live with faded siding, but they, they can't sleep at night with, with these big problems. <clears throat> I would imagine. Uh, I, in fact, had a basement in, uh, in our home in uh, Virginia, and we had a uh, access, an outside access, with a drain at the bottom of the stairwell, which got filled with leaves, something simple, filled with leaves, idiot homeowner me didn't take care of it and we had because we were gone came back to three inches of water on the ground i know what you're talking about maybe craig what you could do is give us a case study if you can remember something that you guys have solved uh, recently and how how they, the homeowner finds you guys what's the process how do you diagnose it what kind of systems and methods and techniques do you use to fix it I think that would help our listeners understand specifically uh, what you do to fix these problems. Sure. <clears throat> Normally, we get a call from a homeowner, and they don't know who to call because they just see water on the floor of the basement. They're not sure if it's a plumbing issue, if a hot water heater leaked. Just, they just don't know where to start or who to call. Sometimes they've already called somebody else, like, like a plumber, and the plumber has told them you have a basement waterproofing issue. 
once we get out there, it's a free inspection. We come out, we look at what's going on. Sometimes it could be a plumbing problem. It could be an isolated thing that has nothing to do with the work we, we do, but we're, we're happy to go out and diagnose it. But once we can identify that the leak is indeed coming up through the floor or through the walls of the basement, then we'll sit down with the homeowner and come up with a plan. So we can either solve the problem from the outside, digging it up, putting new drain tiles in, possibly a sump pump or connecting to a storm sewer, coating the wall from the outside, or we have interior methods where we do all the work from inside the basement. And oftentimes doing the work from inside the basement is very cost effective and gets the job done. And it's usually what customers choose to do. So we put that together as a plan and we give alternate suggestions. Like we could go this way with the plan. We could go this way with the plan, depending on your budget. And the customers appreciate that because we don't come in and try to just sell them the whole basement all at once. If they got a problem in a localized area, more times than not, we can fix it for around $1,000 if it's just a crack in the wall. We can inject that crack with a high-pressure polyurethane injection, and that is guaranteed for the life of the structure. Sometimes we have very happy customers, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it's several thousand dollars to fully waterproof a basement, but at least when they're done, they end up with a lifetime warranty on the basement that it'll never leak or be wet again. And that holds a lot of value, not just in the resale of the house, but in the peace of mind that the homeowner has that, hey, I can put carpet down now. I can finish this into a playroom or a man cave or whatever I want. Craig, is this typically a homeowner insurance issue or is it outside that scope or or do you have financing? So give us some idea about the how do you get this thing paid for from the homeowner standpoint? The insurance companies view it as maintenance of the house, expected replacement. If you had a roof leak, let's say, the insurance company might cover some damage from the roof leak because that's secondary damage, but the ultimate cause of it being a worn out shingle or a leak at a flashing joint, you just have to pay for the roof that's expected as a homeowner. The insurance companies see it the same. If you had a water backup or a flood in the basement and they can determine it was a failed sump pump or your storm sewers backed up into the basement, which happens a lot around Metro Detroit and almost all the metro areas that have basements, that might be covered if you have an additional rider on your insurance policy, but it's pretty limited. And that only is the cleanup of the problem, but it doesn't fix the problem. Do you, does your organization have financing that you can help people with if they can't write a check that day? Yes. Yes, we have in-house financing, instant approval. We're part of a national-wide dealership, and we have our own finance company that we deal with and get the best rates for. I would imagine that you've got lots of com- competition in your geography there, Craig. Tell us how you're different from the competition and how you fundamentally are able to put them in the rear view mirror, if you will. It wasn't too long ago that I don't think we were too different from other companies. Okay. Aside from the fact that we really cared about our customers. But one thing that got me into this business was I was a home inspector originally. I owned a home inspection franchise and I had home inspectors that worked for me. I did home inspections 
for people buying a house, they might have it inspected before they buy it, and we give them a report. And we would keep a portfolio of reputable contractors that we could refer out to people, roofing, plumbing, siding, furnaces, HVAC, whatever it was, electricians. I could not find a reputable basement waterproofing company. There's something about basement waterproofing because it's once you fix the problem, that customer's fixed for life, presumably because they're getting a lifetime warranty. They don't need you anymore. And that's so that, that company acted like they didn't need them and they mistreated customers. It was just inherent in the industry. So I saw it as an opportunity to stand out amongst my competitors and be the reputable, honest company. Now, there were a few companies out there that I did think was on, that I did think were honest and reputable, but they were usually small family owned businesses. And when I referred customers to them, they were often told it was 12 to 18 months waiting list to get the job completed. It was the, the father and the son doing the job with a couple extra people. And each job took them a week to do. So I decided if I could get a performance-based business that could repeatedly do jobs over and over again, but do them correctly and profitably and economically, it would be a great business model. There's some drawbacks to it because you can do a great job and never see that customer again other than the handshake and maybe a good review from them. But I think it's the only way I can do business, and it's proven well for me and our company. What were what are the major milestones? When, when did you found the business? How did you get it financed? Do you have partners? So give us the the history of the company, Craig, and what the major ups were and what the major downs, if there were any, what they were all about. I was 29 years old and I was working uh, at a computer company doing tech support and I just couldn't take sitting in a seat anymore. And I bought a house, my first house. I had this home inspector get like 250 bucks for an hour and a half of work. And I thought, boy, that's great work if you can get it. So I started looking around and I realized there's franchises for getting into home inspection. So this is 1994. I decided I'm going to try this. I let the people know at the computer company, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go try this business thing I had in my head. I got the franchise for the home inspection. I had to sell my house to get enough money to fund myself. And I bought a mobile home, paid cash for it. So I didn't have a lot of bills. I bought a car that I could pay cash for and basically didn't make any money for a year and a half. Just got the business rolling. And with the help of the franchise, they taught me everything about business that I needed to know. And next thing you know, I'm in business and I'm a business person. Every year was a little better than the next. And it probably was a little while before I was reasonably profitable or making at least what I was making at the computer company. And as I added employees, it started to work out and started to turn around for me. So, but early 2000s, like 2001, maybe. I identified basement waterproofing as an opportunity to start a second business. I got into crack injection. Uh, a lot of houses, new houses with poured concrete walls, the walls crack because the concrete dries and as it dries, it shrinks and it just naturally cracks in the concrete. Not a big deal, but you can fix it economically with this uh, injection method. So. I looked into the method. I'd seen it done before, but I didn't know who was doing it. 
I researched it. It was a company in Germany that developed the process. I reached out to them, and they put me in touch with a trainer they had here. He's from Germany. He's an engineer, and he's living in, a, in the United States. And it turned out he lived an hour away from me. Of, of all things, all the way from Germany, this guy just happened to live an hour away from me. He was in his late 60s at the time, or mid-60s, and that guy just took me under his wing and showed me the, the whole business. He had owned his own basement waterproofing foundation repair company. He owned commercial repair companies. He fixed parking decks, tunnels, all subways all over the country, all over the world. Every time I called him, he was in some other country working with their government. But he took it upon himself to really take me under his wing. And that's when the business took off and uh, never looked back. It's been basement waterproofing the whole way. So, so it sounds like you bootstrapped it all the way. You never reached out to investment capital and things like that. No, I didn't even know about that kind of stuff at the time. And I was always fearful of borrowing money. I was fearful that this might not work out. So I tried to fund everything just out of my pocket and not taking a paycheck kind of thing. So how many employees do you have? How, do you have a management team? What's your company look like today? Yeah, we have over a little over 100 employees right now, and we have a tremendous management team. So the management team runs the business. I don't run the business. Everything in the business is systematized. I realized early on that I think I got the idea from the EMIF book. I read it and it talked about if you're going to work in your business or if you're going to work on your business, it's two totally different ways of approaching business. And I decided the systems method is what I wanted to do. So we went, went about building systems for every part of the business so that somebody could come in and know what their role was and do it repeatedly, perfectly every time. Uh, now, of course, it doesn't happen that way, but each year, I think we get a little closer to that, to, to perfection. Um, so with the systems that have been built inside the business, everybody can take on their role with full responsibility, and I have very little need to interject in what they're doing anymore. Well, do you have periodic management meetings, Craig, and so forth, where you uh, have them tell you, or you can hold them accountable or compare what's happening to your goals. You have that sort of thing going on? Yes, we have a lot of KPIs that we manage. And we have we've migrated towards the EOS management style of running the company. And so we haven't gone full EOS yet, but that's the goal in the next two to three years to be full EOS. And some people may not be familiar with it, but it's basically a way of empowering your employees to make management decisions. And the other employees serve to help as a management team, like you were mentioning. It's too difficult for one person to manage a complex organization. So EOS was implemented uh, to some degree, and we're improving on that every year. And I think the more and more we do it, the more and more value we, we get out of it. Yeah, I would imagine you... And in, in, in answer to your question, yes, the management meetings now happen all the time. Where in the beginning, the management meeting was bumping into somebody in the hallway and having a discussion. Now it has to be a scheduled meeting regularly on the calendar 
anticipated. Everybody knows what to show up with. Everybody knows what the goals are. The bigger the company gets, the more you have to be regimented like that. So, yeah, management meetings are now a daily thing. Uh, how about planning? Do you put together an annual plan and measure your progress against that plan? Or <clears throat> Yes, in the beginning of the year, we sit down, or really the end of the year, we sit down and plan what we're going to anticipate for the following year. Difficult because it's somewhat weather-dependent. Our business could be up or down from year to year, depending on how much rain we have. Now, foundation repair is pretty consistent. If you have a crack in your wall because of poor soil conditions, it could actually worsen during a drought. But the waterproofing is weather dependent. So we set our, our goals for the year, and we break it down to um, a point where everybody and every level of the company knows how the goals impact them. So if we need to know how many calls or appointments we need to book from the call center, the people on the phone with the headsets that take the calls coming in to book appointments, they know if they're ahead or behind on the monthly goal. They, they, they know if they're behind on a monthly goal of setting appointments for salespeople, they need to start reaching out to past uh, inquiries that never booked an appointment with us or maybe canceled the job before we did it to try to fill that schedule people installing the waterproofing products that we have, they have goals too. They know exactly where they should be at installation revenue for every week and we track it to the dollar and they're compared and ranked against their peers and their performance-based pay plan rewards them for high achievement. And the high achievement does not just come from production only, just like, hey, I installed more pipe this month or this week, I need to make more money. There's also another component of that is that your customer satisfaction rating has to be stellar. And we measure customer satisfaction rating along with productivity rating, and the two have to go hand in hand for you to get a bonus. Excellent. So the bonuses are annual or quarterly, or how does that work? The people that work with their hands, the, right. the crux of the company, the guys with the shovels, they they are getting paid an hourly rate and they'll make that hourly rate plus overtime if they're past 40 hours, but they have the opportunity of buying into or getting into a bonus program on each week's pay. If their productivity is over a certain amount for that week, they get in a bonus pay and they get to keep all the extra money from that bonus. We take out their hourly, hourly rate, and let's say there's another $1,000 left over, they divide that amongst the three-man crew. So we've been able to take foremen that started with us, say, right after high school. They work as a, a laborer and then a journeyman, and they work their way up to foreman in a couple of years. These guys can make sixty-five dollars to $90,000 a year because they're almost like running their own little business. They have to think, how can I be smart this day, get the most done out of my men? How can I make productivity happen faster? If I see somebody walking up the stairs to go back to the truck to grab a tool, they shouldn't go empty-handed. They should be bringing some dirt up with them or coming down with some pea gravel or whatever. I'm going to make this the most productive I can. And at the end of the week, we're all going to share in the rewards. So it's been great for them. 
that they were apprehensive about that program to begin with, obviously, because it always seems like the employee gets less when there's a new program. But uh, right. you couldn't take that program away from them now. Yeah, so I love that idea. I've, I have another client of mine up in Washington State has two towing companies, and he has a similar project that when he first introduced it, everybody resisted. And now he couldn't possibly unwind that bonusing pool. And his productivity is through the roof. Because once these guys yeah. figured out that they and themselves can control their income, they're able to do it. I love to hear that story. How about the rest of the company that's not out in the field? Is there a bonus system for them as well, Craig? Or how does that, how do you compensate those folks, like the call center people and so forth? Almost everybody in the company has a bonus program. Call center now is measured on the number of calls and appointments booked. And there's bonuses for getting more appointments beyond what we set as the goal. Some, like right now, we have a lot of rain. It's very easy to set appointments. That's fine. So we'll try to think up a supplementary bonus program. Hey, uh, you guys already are in the bonus program this week or this month, obviously. But, hey, if you can book five more appointments by the end of the day, we'll buy you lunch tomorrow or something like that. If it's somebody who's out in the warehouse, it's, we might give them a bonus for keeping inventory control in a decent amount or getting our inventory down, but never being out of a product. If it's somebody who is in sales, they're of course incentivized by commissions, but the commission program can, if you sell more, you in a month, you can get more commission percentage. So if you're only going to take two appointments a day, you might end up with nine and a half percent commission, but if you're willing to work overtime and run some weekend and evening appointments and you sell over a certain amount, you might get 10 and a half percent commission. Okay, good. So everybody, everybody needs to make more money. If, if they're going to work harder, they should be uh, rewarded in some way that makes sense, but it all has to tie back to something that says it can't just be about productivity. It has to be, Customer satisfaction has to be in there somewhere. So we came up with a wild program for the foreman where it's a whole program where we teach them how to give a wild experience to the customer. Customer needs to be an advocate for us in the future. We want great reviews from them. We want them as happy uh, homeowners that got a great service from us. And if they have less than a stellar experience with us, we're going back to the foreman and talking to them about it. And that can impact their pay because they won't be able to participate in the bonus program. They can go back to hourly and work their way back into to bonus, or they may not be working at the company anymore. They'll have to find another job. Excellent. I, I love your uh, management philosophies, Craig. So what's holding you back right now, do you think? We have our systems in place. It's amazing the amount of systems that we've been putting in place, and it's in, in anticipation of growth. We know there's a lot more work out there that we can do for customers, but we didn't want to take it on without every piece of the puzzle being in place first. We, I've seen a lot of companies in our industry grow rapidly through the use of just branding and advertising, just brute force, TV, billboard, radio, and they cannot keep up with the influx of leads and jobs coming in. And I see their, their ratings just plummet on, say, Google. 
uh, just plummet, go from a four something to a 3.2. And it all ties back to they weren't ready for the growth. We can't stomach that in our company. I don't think anybody in our company can sleep good at night if we get a bad review. We're hamstrung by that desire to have high customer satisfaction. So our growth has to be notched or keyed or tied to what we think we can do realistically without failure. So we've been growing every year at 15, 20% clip. We have in the past grown over 100% from year to year. And that was very chaotic. And I don't think any of us want to relive that. But there's a lot of potential to grow that fast if we can get our systems in place. I think once the systems are in place and if they're robust enough to accommodate rapid growth, that's where we can turn it on. And by turning on hitting TV, radio, and billboard advertising, going to the next level with marketing, because in this industry, doing the job is great, but it's selling and getting leads are key to growing the business. We've got a lot of listeners that are other, listening to all the things you're saying, potential customers, potential employees, potential vendors, and fellow business owners that like to talk to you about some of the, your philosophies about systems and bonuses and management structure and planning and all that sort of thing. So, Craig, how would uh, various people get a hold of you? Well, they get a hold of me through our website at basementfix.com, or they can reach me on my email, craig at homespec.com. Excellent. Excellent. Wrapping up, what, Craig, what's the one question that I should have asked you and I uh, that I didn't have in my mind that would give great value to our audience? And what's the answer to that unasked question? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. A lot of the business owners in this business have gotten very rich owning basement waterproofing companies because they're willing to lie, cheat, and steal. And I say that without reservation. This this industry is just full of people like that. And there's always the temptation from year to go, boy, if I could just maybe push it a little bit, I could probably grow. And you really, you got to hold back. If you're so focused on money and things, I don't think that's going to bring happiness, at least not for me. And I know the people in my company don't feel that way either. So if I ever, for some reason, woke up one morning and decided I'm willing to lie, cheat, and steal to grow the business, they wouldn't stick with me. They would leave. So I think it's important to keep check on yourself and to make sure you're living the same life that you're telling the employees and the that this is who we are and we're putting ourselves out there as being. If they ever thought that I was going to cheat a customer out of something, I don't think a lot of our employees would stay. And so I'm very dedicated to being an honest, humble, and kind of company that you would want to recommend to your mom, let's say, or your or anybody in your family. That's great. I love that. Thanks for sharing all your insights with us, Craig. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.
So everybody now, in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our businesses don't become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having a visionary strategy, of having a management system to execute that strategy, and number three, leveraging a high-performance team. Now, you can get your hands on all three of those from me by just going to one of my sites called Business Mastery Pro. So thanks for listening. And Craig, thanks very much for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. Thanks. It's been fun.